0: And faculty treated my kids like they were their own. Shiloh is a, is a place where, you know, your kids can come and be themselves. The staff is very open to things that the parents have to say. To enroll your child in Shiloh's Early Learning Academy, call 225-343-4734. Is God real? Stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to a closer look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Word? Everybody please turn to 1 Samuel chapter seven. As we are continuing our look at Samuel, this is the third installment in this series and somebody might be asking well if it's just the third installment how did we get to chapter 7 so fast well here's the answer to that Samuel is not mentioned in chapters 4 5 or 6 there are things that take place in those chapters but it does not have to do with his life uh, in 1st in, in Samuel chapter 4 we are told that the Ark of the Covenant is taken from God's people uh, by the Philistines when they engage in battle. Uh, In chapters 5 and 6, the Philistines are humiliated for taking the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark is restored. But in chapter 7, Samuel reappears in the story. And he is very much a part of the revival of Israel. The lesson deals primarily with Samuel encouraging the people to worship God and not fall into idol worship. Now, idol worship is a big deal, it's a big deal in Scripture. And it's a big deal today. Uh, uh, I I know we don't typically think of ourselves as being uh, subject to idol worship. And yet I think that quite often we find ourselves challenged. What is idol worship? And I know we've talked about this from different passages before. What is idol worship? It's not having a wood carving in your living room. It's not having a piece of stone uh, in your foyer. Idol worship is simply this, putting anything or anybody ahead of God. When you put anything or anybody, and when I say anybody, anybody includes You. You want to know who the biggest idol is for most of us? And if it ain't you, then God bless you. Self. We love self. Terrell Owens used to play wide receiver in the NFL I hated him when he played for other teams. I liked him when he played for the Cowboys. Uh, but 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 Terrell Owens had a had a saying. I love me some me. He would say that all the time. I love me some me. A lot of people can agree with Terrell Owens. I love me some me. In fact, in many cases, uh, we are encouraged to love self more than anyone else. Y'all, y'all, y'all know that song that Whitney Houston made famous. She wasn't the first one to sing it, but she made it famous. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. It made a whole lot of money. They sold a whole lot of records, but that's not true. It's not learning to love yourself. And there's nothing wrong with having strong self-esteem. There's nothing wrong with having a positive self-image. But self-esteem, strong self-esteem begins with strong God-esteem. God has to be first. And if God is not first, then you have your priorities out of whack. And I don't care how nice a person you are. Not every idol worshiper is an evil person. Not every idol worshiper is demonic. They just have their priorities out of whack. Idol worship is to put anything or anyone ahead of God. It does not mean that there is a complete rejection of God. More often than not, it means that we relegate God to the periphery of our lives. I still come to church, as long as the saints ain't playing. I, I still come, come to church. I want y'all to know, first thing that was said to me when I walked in here, Sunday's going to be an interesting day, Pastor. <laughs> first thing. Amen. First thing that was said to me in my office, somebody came by the office, it's going to be an interesting day. You might have to take them things down from off your, I, I have some banners in my office that, that say Dallas Cowboys. and It does not mean that, that, that God is, is not in our lives. It just means that we have relegated him to the periphery. And and it's not just sports. That's a benign thing. Often we relegate God to the periphery in favor of our children, in favor of our spouses, in favor of our siblings, in favor of people that are close to us. Sometimes we relegate God to the periphery in favor of uh, personal desires, career choices, Anything and anyone that we put ahead of God becomes our idol. And when we do that, we put ourselves in an improper relationship with God. So we have to constantly be on guard against that. As we move into First Samuel chapter 7, it ends with the, tabern- the, 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 the ark of the covenant being brought back from the Philistines to the people. If, if you look at the end of chapter 6, it says that they were sent to get the tabernacle. Go back to chapter 6 and start with verse 19. And that will lead us into chapter 7. God struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh who, out of curiosity, irreverently peeked into the chest of God. Seventy died. The whole town was in mourning, reeling under the hard blow from God and questioning who can stand before God, this holy God, and who can... And who can we get to take this chest off our hands? They sent emissaries to Kiriath-Jerim saying, the Philistines have returned the chest of God, come down and get it. Now we move into chapter seven. And they did. The men of Kiriath-Jerim came and got the chest of God and delivered it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. They ordained his son, Eleazar, to take responsibility for the chest of God. From the time that the chest came to rest in Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, 20 years it was, and throughout Israel there was a widespread fearful movement toward God. There was a widespread fearful movement toward God. Then Samuel addressed the house of Israel. If you are really serious about coming back to God, clean house. Get rid of the foreign gods and fertility goddesses. Ground yourselves firmly in God. Worship him and him alone, and he'll save you from Philistine oppression. They did it. They got rid of the gods and goddesses, the images of Baal and Ashtoreth, and gave their exclusive attention and service to God. Now, if you read the previous chapters uh, that, that, that we have skipped over, uh, 4, 5, and 6, you will see that God took the Ark of the Covenant, what, what is being called uh, here uh, the, the chest of God. He took the Ark of the Covenant away from Israel to force them to look elsewhere for security. You have to understand the, the, the history of the Ark of the Covenant. When, when God instructed Moses and gave him very specific instruction on how to build the Ark and then placed the law, the covenant between God and man in the ark. God made it clear that the ark held the word of God. Whenever the ark went before the armies of Israel throughout their entire time wandering in the wilderness, they prevailed in battle. When the ark was there, they prevailed. When the ark was not there, they had a problem. Here's what happened. People became more connected to the ark than to God. People became more enamored by the ark than by God. Consequently, that which God gave them, that which God had established for them, became an idol to God as opposed to the true worship of God himself. Now, when God gave the Ten Commandments, because y'all don't know all of the covenant. The covenant takes up like four chapters, but y'all do know the Ten Commandments, right? In Exodus chapter 20. What's commandment number one? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods, before me. What's commandment number two? Boy, y'all got the first one. Ain't, ain't nobody say nothing. <laughs> you shall not make unto me any graven images. That's commandment number two. Why not? You're going to say, well, they didn't make a graven image. They followed God's instruction and built the Ark of the Covenant. That is correct. But then after the ark was built and after the law was placed in the ark, we converted it into a graven image because we came to think more of the ark than we did of God who gave us the ark. Now, I'm telling you, this is relevant for our lives today. I know people, you might know them too, who have unhealthy allegiances to things that they think represent God and have more of a healthy allegiance to that than they do to God Himself. Crucifixes. You know, y'all, 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 y'all love your little crosses. And and I've told you before just as an aside, the true symbol of the church is not the cross. The true symbol of the church is the empty tomb. But now I guess artists have a hard time making an empty tomb. So we just go with the cross. But some of us love crosses more than we love Jesus. Some of us hold our crosses up like, 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 like the cross that you wear around your neck has some kind of supernatural power. That cross ain't got no supernatural power. Some of us have unhealthy alliances to crucifixes, to Bibles, to altars, to sanctuaries, dare I say it. And we love those things more than we love the Lord. can't worship unless I worship here. Well, then you ain't worshiping. God can be worshiped anywhere, And if you got to be in a certain place to worship, I feel bad for you. What happens when you can't get to the place where, where, where you think is the only place that you can Worship. What happens if something happens to the place that you think is the only place where you can worship? We have to be careful. Samuel says to the people if you're serious about the worship of God, then clean house, get rid of everything else, stop having these idols that you put before the true worship of God. The people follow Samuel's instruction and put the idols away at least for a little while. In hindsight, we know that their actions are more out of a sense of desperation and fear and a sincere devotion to God. Well, how do you know that? Look at what it says. From the time that the chest came to rest in Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, 20 years it was, and throughout Israel there was a widespread fearful movement toward God. Now, I know that we are taught that, that part of the worship of God involves having the fear of God. That's not what this means. When it says fearful, it doesn't mean reverent. It means scared. I'm scared not to worship God. I'm scared of what will happen to me if I don't draw near to God. Well, I know that we've been taught in many ways, if not stated explicitly, it's implied that we should worship God out of fear of the consequences of not worshiping him. But can I tell you that for mature Christians, Fear should not be the motivating factor for you worshiping God. You ought to have, I'm looking at people who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. A couple of y'all, I know are younger than that, forgive me. But you ought to have a background of experience with the Lord over the span of your life to where you know what the Lord has done for you. And so I'm no longer worshiping God because I'm scared of what happens if I don't. I'm worshiping God because I know what he's able to do. I am absolutely convinced of it. And here's the thing, even if he doesn't do it, I'm going to worship him anyway. Nebuchadnezzar grabs Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not a bad Negro. It's Abednego. Look at it, A-B-E-D-N-E-G-O, (laughs) Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar grabs these three young men and says, you will either bow to my idol, you will bow to my shrine, or you will burn in a fiery furnace. And, and, and it seems like he said, take a minute to think about it because their response is, we, we don't even have to think about it. We don't need a minute. We're absolutely confident of what we will do. We are confident that the God we serve is able to deliver us and that he will deliver us from your hand. But that's not all they said. They added this, even if he doesn't, even if we're wrong about what he's going to do, we still won't bow. You ought to have a background of experience so so that you're not running to, to the Lord. You're not running to the church because you're scared not to. But you, you ought to have something in your life where you look back and see, it wasn't me who got me over this. It wasn't who I knew who got me over this. It was the Lord who got me over this. Job is sitting in sackcloth. And ashes. He's lost his wealth. His crops have burned. His livestock has been stolen. His children have been killed. His wife has called him a fool and told him he ought to curse God and die. And his friends have gathered around him. And one by one, they have said to him, You ought to repent of the sin that you have committed. And maybe God will be gracious to you and give you another chance. You know what Job says? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In other words, I'm not trusting him because I'm out of my mess. And I'm not trusting him so that he gets me out of my mess. If he chooses to kill me, I still trust him. Oh, man. That should be the background of our experience. It's, it, 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 it is understandable, but it is never right that the only reason why we come to God is because we're in trouble. Now, I said it's understandable. If you're in trouble, coming to God is a good place to come. But you ought to come to God whether you're in trouble or not. And you ought to stay around sometimes. You come around when you get in trouble. When the trouble subsides, you find someplace else to go. But if you have a genuine relationship with God, then you know that this is the best place to be. And when I say that, I don't mean in here. I mean in a close relationship, in an intimate relationship with Almighty God. That ought to be the goal of our lives. Verse five. Next, Samuel said, get everybody together at Mizpah and I will pray for you. So everyone assembled at Mizpah. They drew water from the wells and poured it out before God in a ritual of cleansing. They fasted all day and prayed, we have sinned against God. So Samuel prepared the Israelites for holy war there at Mizpah. Let's stop there for a second. He gathers the people at a place named Mizpah. Mizpah means watchtower. It's not far from his home in Ramah, but he gathers the people there because he says, I'm going to pray for you. You remember two weeks ago when we started this study, one of the things we mentioned about Samuel is that he is recognized for having a strong prayer life. He's mentioned in in, in the Psalms along with David and Moses as being recognized for having a strong and powerful prayer life. He says that he will pray to Yahweh on behalf of the people. And this is what we commonly call intercessory prayer. That's where we pray on behalf of other folk. Question, How much of your prayer is about you? How much of your prayer is about yours? My children, my spouse, my family. And how much of your prayer is about other folk? It is our charge as the church to not just pray for me and mine, but to pray for everybody. Pray for needs that are brought to our attention. Pray for needs that we know nothing about. Lift up the concerns of others. That is our charge. That is our responsibility. Turn to James for just a minute. Chapter five, starting with verse 13. Key verses, verse 15. Are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the Master. Believing prayer will heal you, and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed inside. And out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for instance, human, just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain and it didn't, not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain and it did. The showers came and everything started growing again. Powerful prayer, intercessory prayer, prayer for, for, for something other than just us. Prayers of intercession are a type of godliness, because it gives us the opportunity to put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. A sign of spiritual immaturity is when we're only concerned about us. A sign, we're talking about idolatry, a sign of idolatry is when we're only concerned about us. Our charge is to pray for others. One of the most powerful intercessory prayers found in scripture is found in Nehemiah. Nehemiah asks somebody who has come back from the Holy Land, how, how are things going there? How, how's the rebuilding effort going? And, and he says it's not going well at all. They're not doing anything. Everybody has forgotten about the rebuilding of the walls. They've forgotten about the temple and people are just doing what they want to do. Next thing that you read is Nehemiah prays. He prays on behalf of the work effort. He prays on behalf of the people there. And one of the things that he does in his intercessory prayer is that he identifies with the needs of the people by making himself one of them. He confesses for our sin, even though Nehemiah had never been there. He says, Lord, forgive our sin." talking about the ones who were there. But he says it in such a way that he includes himself in the prayer. Does the church have a heart for the needs of others such that we see ourselves as being a part of their problem? It ain't your problem. It's our problem. It ain't your hurt. It's our hurt. Old folk used to pray, Lord, give us a love that runs from heart to heart and from breast to breast bind us together in a bond of love that's so strong that one can't fall for the other part of the problem that we have with the church is that there is an immediate tendency to separate ourselves from the needs that exist. That ain't my problem. I hear y'all. I, I, I don't hear y'all. I read y'all. I read all y'all social media. He ain't my president. Yes, he is. You didn't vote for him. If, if you if you stopped it, I didn't vote for him, you'd be telling the truth. You do live here, right? You, 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 you did not... Uh, uh, get rid of your citizenship, right? So, guess what? He's your president too. He's a mess. He's a fool. And there's a whole lot of other stuff I could say, but he's your president too. And if you have a love for your country, if you have a love for your community, then you have to identify with the needs and the problems that exist within your community. Jesus tells the parable of of, of the lost son. And when the son comes home, the older brother gets mad. And the older brother won't go in and celebrate the brother coming home. And when the daddy comes out and asks, son, what's wrong? The son won't even acknowledge that it's his brother. My problem is your son, your other son the other son that you let back into the house, he doesn't call him my brother because he wants there to be a division between him and that son of yours. I've stayed here. I've been obedient to you all my life. I've done everything that you've asked me to do. But when that son of yours showed up, do you see that when you do that, You can't have a a, a posture of intercession because you've already made yourself separate and apart from the need, from the burden, from the problem. Samuel says, gather at the watchtower and I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for our needs because that's what it is. It's our need. We are in a collective problem. If you're in a plane, it doesn't matter whether you're in first class, business class, coach, or in the very last seat. If the plane goes down, the whole plane is going down. So, so, so you, you, you can talk about the folk up there all you want to. When the plane hits the ground, you gonna hit the ground right along with them. If there's a need, it's our need. If there's a burden, it's our burden. And here's the thing, that's what Jesus did for us. If anybody had a right to separate himself from the problem, it was Jesus. Jesus could say, I ain't done nothing wrong. In fact, he kind of says that. Lord, let this cup pass from me. Then he comes back and he says, nevertheless, not in my will, your will be done. We have to have a nevertheless attitude. doesn't mean when, when you embrace the need, it does not mean that you agree with what they did. It just means that you understand that what they did is the same thing that you did, it's just under a different name. You do know that sin is sin, right? I know y'all don't think so. I know y'all think that some sins are worse than others, and, and, and people have a tendency to qualify as sins. We say that some sins are small and tiny. Those are usually the ones that we do. And, and, and some sins are big and awful. That's usually the sins that somebody that we don't like do. But in the sight of God, in the sight of God, sin is sin. It just reveals itself in different ways. Where you are strong, somebody else is weak. And where you are weak, somebody else is strong. And so we like to say things like, well, I've done my dirt, but I ain't never do that. But you did something. And I know that everybody did something save Jesus because the scripture says, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. The scripture says, none are righteous. No, not one. If we are to rightly intercede, then we have to identify with the needs of others. Everyone assembled at Mizpah. They drew water from wells and poured it out before God in a ritual of cleansing. They fasted all day and prayed. We have sinned against God. So Samuel prepared the Israelites for holy war there at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel was meeting at missed, but the Philistine leaders went on the offensive, Israel got the report and became frightened. Philistines on the move again. They pleaded with Samuel, pray with all your might and don't let up. Pray to God, our God, that he'll save us from the boot of the Philistines. Now, here's the thing. The reason why it says they went to Samuel and they asked Samuel to pray to God with all your might is because there is a difference of the movement of the Holy Spirit pre-resurrection than the movement of the Holy Spirit post-resurrection. You've heard me say before, it's nice to ask other people to pray for you. I'm always, uh, 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 I, I, I'm always gratified when somebody says, "Pray for me." But I do want to remind you that you can pray for yourself. You, you don't need me to pray for you. You can go to God for yourself. That is not the case here. This is pre-resurrection. This is pre-Pentecost. I shouldn't even say resurrection. This is pre-Pentecost. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given to all believers. But before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given to individuals at God's discretion so that not everybody, not everyone in the community had the Holy Spirit. Not everyone in the community even had the availability of the Holy Spirit. So when they found somebody who had the Spirit, everybody gathered around him. Isaiah writes, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and, and, and it's a powerful statement because not everybody in Isaiah's time and in Isaiah's presence could say that. And the same thing is, is, is true here, what they recognize when they see the Philistines moving and they feel the fear bubbling up in their hearts. What they recognize is that we need divine help. And so they go to the one who serves as the, 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 the filter that will give them divine help. One of the things we said when we started this series is that Samuel, in addition to being recognized as one of the last judges of, of, of Israel, was also a priest. And what is the work of a priest? The work of a priest is to represent the needs of the people before God and to share the Word of God to the people. He's the mediator. And so when, when word comes that the Philistines are on the march, remember just in, in the previous chapters, the Philistines had routed the Israelites in battle. And so when they hear that the Philistines are on the move again, they're scared that like they got routed before. They're going to get routed again. And so they turn to Samuel and they say, pray. Pray with all your might. We have fasted. We have prayed. We have done the best that we know how to do. But we want you to pray. We want you to intercede on our behalf so that we are not put in the same position that we were in before. With that understanding that, that, that at that time, the movement of the Holy Spirit was with individuals and not pervasive with everyone. The, the, the great lesson from these verses is that it is not enough for us to seek the Lord we must also believe that he rewards those who do seek him. Have you ever read Hebrews 11? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's that's verse one. That's usually the verse everybody knows. Skip down to verse six. It says, for without faith... It is not possible to please God. And then he tells you what faith ought to do for you. Faith ought to cause you to believe not only that he exists, but that he rewards those who diligently seek him. What does diligently seek him mean? All the time. All the time all the time, all the time. I've told y'all before, when I, was, when I was a boy, I used to think my mama was too religious because she called on the Lord for everything. She'd lose her keys and she'd stop looking for the keys and pray. Lord, help me to remember where I put my keys and I'm a seven or eight year old child and I'm saying if you just thought about instead of doing all this praying because <laughs> I'm missing out on going to shoppers fair boy are you sitting here praying <laughs> if you just remember where you laid them down we'd have the keys that we could go <sighs> but I was young and I was stupid And now at the age of 57, when I lose stuff, I stop, and I pray, and I say, Lord, help me to remember. Just keep getting up in the morning. That's all you got to do. And stuff that didn't make no sense at one point, at all times, under any circumstance, that's what diligence means. And that's our task, to be diligent in our prayer life before God. One of the great benefits of being a part of the church, of being a part of a faith community is that there are people around you who will help you because you're not the first person to get weak and you won't be the last person to get weak. Everybody experiences moments of weakness. Everybody, although they might not be as honest as you just were, everybody experiences moments when they're mad with God. They don't like what God is doing. And, and 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 they 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 get frustrated with God and just like when we get frustrated with one another when I'm when I'm mad at somebody I don't want to talk to them I don't want to see them don't want to hear them ask me how I'm doing why why why, why are you asking me that now <clears throat> you ain't cared before <clears throat> so so we all feel that so that's the beauty of being a part of a faith community. Get you a prayer partner. Get you two or three prayer partners. And, and, and when you find yourself incapable of praying, let them pray with you. Not just pray for you, pray with you. I, I would never suggest that you don't pray, but I would suggest that you let others pray with you. Let me add something else. The scripture says that there are times when you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. The good thing is because the Holy Spirit dwells within you, the Holy Spirit will be your intercessor. Think about what that means. Think about what Paul is saying when he says the Holy Spirit will intercede with groans and moans that you don't even understand. He's saying that God, will pray to God on your behalf. That don't even make no sense. The Holy Spirit is God. God reveals himself in three distinct personalities that we call Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So when Paul says that the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit will intercede on your behalf, what he's literally saying is God will pray to God for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares about you. And you don't have to understand it. What you have to do is embrace it and and allow for the fact that there are weak moments that all of us experience in life. But don't ever stop. When, when, When Lazarus dies and Jesus doesn't show up in time to save him, His sisters, Mary and Martha, are frustrated. They're angry. And and when Jesus does show up, scripture says something interesting. You go back and read, it's John chapter 11. You, you, You go back and read it. It says that when Jesus does show up, Martha goes straight to Jesus. And she says to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, we, and she stares at him. That, that's me putting that in there. She stares at him. She, she, she gives him that angry look. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. We didn't just send for you yesterday. We sent for you four days ago Jesus talks to Martha and says show me where he is and then he walks into the house and when he walks into the house Mary who didn't go outside with Martha Mary sees him walk into the house and then she falls at his feet and she says if you had been here I know my brother would not have died now what's my point because, because it, it's a subtle point, but it's a powerful point. Mary said exactly the same thing that Martha said. But Martha said it with an attitude of anger and an attitude of frustration and an attitude of disgust. When Mary said it, she said it with an attitude of faith and with an attitude of surrender And so it doesn't matter that we use the same words. It matters what the posture of our hearts is. And you know that Mary's posture was different than Martha's because when Mary said what she said, she said it bowed at his feet. You can be frustrated. You can be angry. Everybody gets that way. Everybody in here has been that way. Don't ever give up on him don't ever give up on him. Old folk, you keep getting up in the morning. He may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. Samuel took a young lamb not yet weaned and offered it whole as a whole burnt offering to God. He prayed fervently to God, interceding for Israel, and God answered. While Samuel was offering the sacrifice, the Philistines came within range to fight Israel. Just then, God thundered, a huge thunderclap exploding among the Philistines. They panicked mass confusion and ran helter-skelter from Israel. Israel poured out of Mizpah and gave chase killing Philistines right and left to a point just beyond Beth Bethkar. Samuel took a single rock and set it upright between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer Rock of Help saying this marks the place where God helped us. Samuel goes through the religious ceremony of offering a sacrifice to God and he cries out to God for help. And when he does so, he shows his level of commitment to the Lord. And God responds to his commitment by giving the Philistines to Israel without Israel having to lose a single person. They don't have to fight. What what, what does the text say? It says, when they heard the thunderclap, they went into a panic and they ran. And the Israelites gave chase to them and they slaughtered them. And it says that Samuel made sure that everybody knew, this ain't about me. This is about the God that we serve. He set up a monument, and he named it Ebenezer. This is the place where God helped us. I pray that we never get to the place where we forget who really helped us. It's nice to thank people who do things for you. It's it's appropriate to thank people who do If somebody does something for you, It is always the correct thing to do, to say thank you. But do know this, that if somebody does something for you, it's because God put them there to do it for you. So when you say thank you to them, you haven't finished with all the thank yous. After you've said thank you to them, you need to say thank you to the Lord. Someone just gave me a book not too long ago uh, uh, where, where he lists about 20 people that had an impact on his life. His name is Bobby Saucer. Some of you might remember Bobby Saucer. He, he actually attended here when he lived in Baton Rouge, was a student. and so then he became the Dean of Students at Morehouse College. He's written a book about uh, all of the different people that he came across in his life that had a positive and powerful impact on his life. But in the forward of the book, the first thing he says is that God sent each and every one of those people into his life in order to make the difference that they made. He, he, he does not stop with acknowledging what people did, but he recognized that it was God working through people. God works through people all the time and does wonderful things in our lives and it's short sighted on our part if we don't recognize that it wasn't just the person it wasn't just the circumstance it wasn't just the situation things didn't just line up because they lined up they lined up because God caused it to line up and I think sometimes we forget who really helped us to the point that if we lose the blessing, we don't know what we're going to do. That is, he said that the person who helped should also thank God that God would use him to be a blessing to others because it's their time today. It's going to be your time tomorrow. Well, I'm just glad I was able to help and you, you do that fake humility thing. But, 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 but you know that you're going to need help one day. And, 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 and so you, you, ought to, you ought to be mindful of the fact that God puts us in these situations and God uses these situations in order for his will to be accomplished. Don't get mad because you're in a bad situation. It'll be over in a little while. The worst moment in my life, my father said something to me that I have never forgotten. This is not the last chapter in your story. You just hold on and keep going. There's another chapter. Hold on. Keep going. There's another chapter in your life If you keep your hand in his hand, cognitively, I accept the reality that people have the right to choose to worship wherever they want to worship Uh, they have the right to choose to go wherever the Lord leads them that's cognitively practically what is dismaying to me is that so many people of color will find their way to predominantly white-led churches and not lend their talents their abilities, their God-given gifts to the black church and the black church experience where the needs are greater and where your effort can be magnified in lifting up brothers and sisters who are in places of despair. What has happened within the African American church? Is not that different. What has happened within the church is not that different than what has happened with other entities and other institutions within our communities. Uh, One of the byproducts of desegregation or of integration, whichever way you choose to to phrase it, uh, is that there has been a fracture within the African American community. And many of our brothers and sisters have been left behind. uh, And the needs that they have are not being met because there is not the resources available in order to meet them. And I'm not just talking about financial resources. I'm talking about talents, skills, and abilities. I'm talking about academic resources. I'm talking about political influence. I'm talking about the influence that can be made uh, through physical labor and through coming in and just working with one another in order to help lift one another. That's the experience that is unique to the African American church. And it is an experience uh, that more of us need to enjoy and and more of us need to benefit from And we are deprived of that. We are deprived of of the ability to make the differences that can be made because of the fracture that exists within our communities. And you can't convince me uh, that you are benefiting so much from being a part of that alternate worship experience when that alternate worship experience doesn't really speak to who you are. The oppressed... Cannot receive a relevant message from the oppressor While we both talk about Jesus. We talk about Jesus from two entirely different perspectives And so it is important that we recognize that even though we may have enjoyed a a, a larger our degree of success in, in other venues of our lives and other aspects of our lives it does not change the fact that we are still members of the oppressed community the oppressed community in baton rouge the oppressed community in louisiana the oppressed community in the united states of america and as the oppressed we need to recognize the importance and the significance of bringing our resources together and utilizing them for the uplifting of us all. And where we fail to do that, we are a part of the problem and not a part of the solution. as I can remember, uh, my family has always been involved in music when we were young. Uh, my mom and my dad played uh, at our family church, and we would essentially provide the music for it. So, uh, as far as that much uh, goes, it's, it's just always been in my life uh, in, in some form or fashion. Started uh, with my family at first, uh, and then it just kind of grew. Uh, when I, at the school that I, uh, I went to, there was a need for musicians. So it didn't matter that I was in second grade or third grade. Uh, Could you play the piano? Yes, (laughs) we need you for a service. So um, a a lot of it, I was doing it and I guess I fell in love with it before I knew that it wasn't something that everybody did just because I grew up with it.